0: I want to ask you to take your Bibles and uh, open up to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're in the fourth message in uh, speaking in parables. All of these parables that we're looking at are found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, It is loaded up with parables. Today we're going to look at three, which are really not full parables, they're just kind of portions of parables in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. Uh, I I don't know if you're aware of this, there are people actually in Albany that do not know this. It's against the law to text and drive. (laughs) I mean, I I was sitting at the light on Friday, light turns green, guy in front of me is like this. I looked at my right guy, he's doing this. The other guy's doing this, and I said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we're going to sit here through this whole light if these guys don't get off their phones. Here's a sign that startled me. I was driving through Tennessee a few weeks ago, and they said nine people a year are killed in Tennessee because of texting and driving. And i tell you something, nothing's worth that much. Everything can wait. It's a life and death issue. But, but, you know, it's hard to stay awake. I mean, let's just think about it. You're on a road trip. You stop at Chick-fil-A. You go large on the fries. You get tea. You get in the car, and about 20 minutes later, you're like, oh. You just want to take that gospel chicken nap for just a moment just want to kind of chill out. You don't want to stay awake. And, and so your wife is always saying to you, you, need me to drive? I'm not that desperate yet. Uh, need me to drive? Nope. I'm good. I'm really good. That's why they put those things on the side of the road when you're in the left-hand lane. You know, does that so it keeps you awake. But well, Jesus wants us to be awake, awake to the reality of the fact that we have one life to live. There's no dress rehearsal, and that one day he's coming back. And either we're going to meet him on the day we die, or we're going to meet him on the day he comes back if we're still alive. We are to be alert and to be discerning. Jesus is, is walking and talking and teaching, and he's telling people to be ready, to be focused, to be alert, to not be slack and indifferent. There, there's an urgency The closer he gets to the cross, there's an urgency in the voice and the tone and the stories of Jesus that we need to pay serious attention to. Vance Havner said, the subject of prophecy is handled almost irreverently by many professing evangelical Christians, teachers, and utterly ignored by others, which cranks an extremist prey upon the ignorance of church people, leading many astray and disgusting others. Now, prophecy is a a real part of the scriptures, but prophecy was never intended to be a means and an end to itself. It was to point us to something greater. It was to point us to be alert that Christ is coming back, that Christ was coming, first coming. He is coming back, a second coming, and we are to be alert to the signs and to look out and to watch and to be prepared when he comes. And the primary reason we're to do that is that we know we live in a world that is headed toward judgment. We know that we live in a world that's headed toward an end. There's an end point that is coming. We know that everybody we know is going to die one day. We're going to die. Everybody's going to die unless Jesus comes back before we die. I mean, the statistics are accurate. One out of one, people die. I mean, pe- people are dying that have never died before. And so we're should be ready. Am I ready, if today were my day, am I ready to meet Jesus? Am I ready to proclaim the gospel of Christ? Jimmy Draper said, our responsibility is to be ready for Christ's return. It's God's responsibility to work out the time and the details of that coming. We are God's servants, and he expects us to be working until he comes. Now, I got saved in the days of the Jesus movement, and and the second coming was a big emphasis in those days, and in, and in contemporary Christian music, which was born in those days, it was a big emphasis. I mean, you, you know, Andre wrote, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. I love what Charles Lowry says about that. Kids listen to that song, and they say, soon and very soon, we're going to Burger King. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, he sang another song called, it won't be long till we'll be leaving here. Every move of God, every revival and every awakening has had a resurgence of emphasis and understanding that Jesus is coming back and that we are facing a coming judgment. So let's read it. This is a long passage of scripture, but I can't get around it because these three all run together. Luke chapter 12 and verse 35. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. In other words, there's a blessing for people that are waiting on God whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds him so blessed are those servants. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So what Jesus has said to us right here is there are consequences to being ready and consequences to not being ready. There's an awareness that needs to be in our heads and in our hearts. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave or that servant says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that slave will come on the day when he does not expect him and at that hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few from everyone who has been given much much will be required and to whom they are entrusted much of him they will ask all the more so you see in your notes a brief summary of these three studies technically it's not a parable but peter calls it one it's the first story is about this landowner that returns and he's filled with joy because his people are expecting him to come back. Now, a wedding feast in Israel could last a week, two weeks, even up to a month. So you didn't know when it was over. So they had to be ready and waiting. They were to work until he came back because they knew he would be coming back from this wedding feast. So here's what Jesus is saying. I've entrusted to my people the gospel, and we are to stay at it until Jesus comes back. We are not to slack off. We're not to say, well, it's, you know, it's already been 2,000 years, hasn't come back now. What, what's the big rush? Jesus said, no man knows the hour of the day. He says one day he's going to come, one's going to be taken and another one left. He, he's going to come like a thief in the night. The Bible talks about the suddenness of the coming of Christ. That there are signs of his coming, but the church is to always be ready. So, well, I don't see that he's coming. Well, this world isn't enough of a mess. He could come at any time. The second story, a home is broken into. Now, let me just make a little application of this. I, I think the church can have its life and its ministry and its heart stolen by prayerlessness. I think we can have our opportunities taken away from us by looking at secondary things. And, and the Lord has announced his coming and he said, we're going to give an account. And a, and a church over a period of time or a believer over a period of time could say, I got all the time in the world. I got all the time in the world. I don't have to worry. I don't have to rush. You know, I'll, I'll see if there's something in the wind. And if it is, I'll, I'll get my act together really quick. I'll put it all together, but Jesus wants us to be welcoming and wanting and waiting for his return. Third story. is about a steward who is left in charge, and he treated others badly. Verses 46 and 47 give the details of his punishment. Here's a little application of this one. It, it is to not exercise the fruit of the Spirit. It is to treat others harshly or indifferently or casually or flippantly when they have been created in the image of God. It is to forget that every life matters. And you say, well, I'm not beating up on anybody. No, we, we don't beat up on anybody, but sometimes we're silent when people are being beaten up on. It is ironic that this text today falls on the day of the International Day of praying for the persecuted church. 245 million people will endure persecution today. That's Los Angeles 63 times. That's how many people. Pastors will be killed today. Churches will be burned today. Christians will be martyred today. And you know what? It it is in a sense that we are adding to the beating When we are indifferent to those who are being beaten. When we are indifferent to the hurt of the world. Well, it's not here. We've got the freedom to worship, freedom to assemble. But if it were taken away, who's going to pray for us? Who's going to pray for us? You see, in this third story, they knew the master's will. They just didn't do it. They didn't do it. They said, we're going to act however we want to act. We're going to do whatever we want to do, the way we want to do it. It's nobody's business. And, and we're not accountable to anybody because the master's never going to come back. In verse 48, he gives us the principle behind the parable. And here's the principle behind the parable. We are responsible for what we know and what we do with what we know. We're responsible for what we know and for what we do with what we know. How we treat others who are over us or under us or around us or whatever you want to realm you want to put it in how we treat others matters the similarity in all three stories is be awake be alert be watchful act accordingly be ready for a divine interruption these parables are a call for us to do personal inventory am i living Ready for the day that I will meet Jesus, either in death or in his coming. Am I living in a way that I'm ready to meet him? That I don't have to say, Lord, you've got to give me some time to get my acts together. I've been squandering my Christian life and my opportunities. Give me some time. No, he says, we don't have all day. Be ready. Be prepared. Pay attention. You see, we live open-ended, but life does have an end. And we give little thought to the brevity of life or the insecurity of earthly things or the or we give little thought to pursuing the world so much that God and his spirit and his church and his calling get squeezed out of our lives. Now what's amazing to me in telling us to be prepared, Jesus doesn't talk about death, he talks about a wedding. Well, you know, if you, if you got a girl and she's getting married, it is like death because there's no guy worthy of any girl. Uh, and that's what my father-in-law told me. I mean, when, you know, you're not worthy. No, he didn't really, but he, I knew he thought it. I knew he thought it. See, Jesus says we ought to be ready like it's a wedding day. Everybody looks forward to a wedding day except the father who's paying the bills. I remember when we were getting ready for, for Aaron's wedding and I came to the house one day and there was these boxes, huge boxes stacked up in the garage. And I mean tall, big boxes stacked up in the garage. And I walked in and I said, uh, what, what, what's that? She said, that's the gazebo. I didn't know we were getting a gazebo oh yeah, that's the gazebo for the wedding reception. And then we're going to put it out in the yard. And I said, is that in the wedding budget? She said, no, that's in your landscaping budget, because it's going to end up in the yard. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. I see that gazebo every day when I pull into my driveway. I refuse to sit in it. (laughs) I just refuse to sit in it. It can't be that good. I know it costs money, but it can't be that good. I mean, it doesn't keep any rain off of you. It has hard seats. I'm still trying to figure out why we have a gazebo. But anyway, we're supposed to be like a bride waiting for the bridegroom. Not with dread, but with joy. Be dressed, he says in verse 35, in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Be prepared. We have a righteous responsibility. Now, Peter sounds like a Baptist. Verse 41 He's kind of asked questions like we ask, Lord, is this for us or is this for other people? Because can I, can I take a rain check on what you just said or is, or is this for all of us? Or is there somebody else you got in mind? You see, when one of the ways we show we're not ready for the coming of Jesus is when we don't redeem the time that he gives us. When we don't serve him like we should, and I'm not talking about out of guilt, I'm talking about out of love. When we don't serve him like we should, give like we should, go like we should go, share like we should share. You, you know, there's a generation dying off it. Man, I mean, they put their hands to the plow and they stayed with it. They went through good times, bad times, hard times, economically, marriage, family, kids, church, ups and downs. They went through it all and they just stayed with it. That's not who we are anymore. Not in the American church. I mean, if it gets tough or we ask too much, it's just we kind of bail. And what Jesus is looking for is people who are all in until he comes or until they can physically no longer do it. He's telling everybody to be watchful. This isn't only about the second coming. This is about daily living. And I know we get tired, and I know we get weary, and sometimes we don't feel appreciated for the things that we do. But nobody ever said that our rewards are on this side of eternity. Our rewards are coming at another time, in another place. Jesus uses words like master and slave and, and steward and servant. And Paul talked about being a servant. And when you, when you see these servants of the king, the thing you don't want to miss is the master serves his servants who've prepared for him. I mean, he says right there, he says, you, you're ready for me? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to serve you. That's what he did in John 13. It's what Ken preached about last Sunday night. The, The Savior serves us because we serve Him. Now, there's a principle to apply, and you see those in your notes. First of all, be ready every day. All of these stories have a common thread. They happen in the setting of a home, of relationships of the day-to-day life that we live. They're not some isolated story happening in some one kind of culture. It happens in a home setting, around the table, being prepared for company to come, and Jesus is going to come, and he wants to be at home when he comes. He doesn't separate, Jesus doesn't separate our lives into secular and sacred. I remember Ron Dunn said about Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are to, to give ourselves to the Lord. He said about Romans 12, 1 and 2, he said, what we need to understand is that you can wash dishes to the glory of God. You can wash your car to the glory of God. You can clean your house to the glory of God. You can do little things to the glory of God. Jesus is telling us to be ready every day, you know, that we're not just sitting in the recliner singing in the sweet by and by. We'll meet on that beautiful shore. He wants us to be aware of our surroundings. I love what Vance Havner said. He said, I don't want to be a worthless worker in a world of work. Secondly, to be ready removes fear and anxiety. You see, when I got saved and the second coming was really a part of our talk and our evangelism uh, as we would go out and witness and everything, I would I would meet Christians who are really anxious. Man, I just I don't know. I'm just I'm just afraid. I'm I'm going to die before Jesus comes back. I'm afraid Jesus is going to come back and I'm going to not going to be ready. Listen, if you're living ready, you'll be ready, and it removes fear and anxiety. There's nothing to fear about death because death is merely passing into life, life with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the lord for me to live as christ to die is more of christ to die is gain second coming i want to be ready so if he comes i'm not caught unprepared or just twiddling my thumbs you see verses 22 through 34 speak of worrying about stuff and jesus doesn't want us worrying about stuff he tells us don't be anxious paul says don't be anxious Verses 35 through 48, he talks about being watchful. We're to rest in the Lord, but we're to be watchful while we're resting because one day he is coming back. We're to have our eyes open for his coming, our hands busy in his work, and our heart prepared to meet him. Anxiety comes when we try to fix what God's already taken care of. We're worried. We're just worried about things. You know, one reason people don't buy life insurance policies, number one answer, that means I'm gonna die. Well, duh. You know, number one reason people don't buy cancer policies, that means I'm gonna get cancer. You see, that's living anxiously and fearfully. That's not living confidently that God has prepared more for us than a life insurance policy or a cancer policy. He has given us himself. And he's coming, and he's looking for faithful servants. See, my readiness is revealed in my willing obedience you see these servants, and they're watching, and they're waiting, and they're they're available. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they're not being careless about their lives. They're not being flippant. They're, they don't have somebody out three miles down the road saying, if you see him coming, let us know. We'll throw all the dirty clothes under the bed. No. They're ready. They're waiting. Hey, I don't know about you, but it'd be okay with me if Jesus came back today. I don't don't know who take care of all the problems in the world won't be my problem. But I know this. If he were to come back today, we should want to take as many people with us as we can. We should want people to avoid the judgment that is coming. And we should want people to miss hell and get to heaven. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you motivation. I'm coming back. Are you the kind of servant that I can trust when I come back? You see, when we don't do what the Lord requires, what we're simply saying, this is important, when we don't do what the Lord requires, what we're simply saying is we don't really care what the Lord requires. We're actually saying he doesn't have a right to tell me what he wants me to do. We, we want a ticket to heaven, but we don't want to live for him while we're on earth. Jesus has a response coming for the faithful and the unfaithful. There's a reward, and there's also punishment. I, I fear we need a little warning here. I think a church like Sherwood is going to be held to a higher standard of accountability than a lot of other churches. With what we've been blessed with, with the opportunities that God has given us, with the ministries that he has allowed us to start and expand, with the, the opportunities we have to touch this region with the gospel, with the churches that we've planted, with the refresh conferences that we've done, with the movies that have come out of here, all of that, that's not so we can pat each other on the back. That just says God has entrusted us with something and he's going to hold us accountable to what he's entrusted us with. So we need to be awake and we need to be alert. What is the next thing that he wants to entrust us with? What's the thing he wants to give us? Fourthly, finally, being ready brings a blessing that will not come any other way. Verse 37 and verse 43 are parallel verses. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Verse 43 Blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Look, verse 37 deals with the master's attitude, the master's attitude of delight in his servant's attitude. Verse 43 deals with the added responsibilities given to us as we prepare for his coming. You know what happens when you do what God tells you to do? He gives you more to do. He gives you more to do. You see, the reward for doing good work is more work. And so the the Lord is coming and looking for good stewards. People who have stewarded the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the resources, the opportunities that they have. He's looking for people that are good stewards. And when he finds them, he says, I've got more I want you to do. I've got more that I want you to do. And I've got more that I want you to put your heart to. And I've got more that I want you to invest in. God is in the much more he, he, he doesn't want us backsliding as we get older. He doesn't want us settled in our ways. He wants us living in anticipation. Lord, when you come, I want you to find me working. I want you to find me serving. I want you to find me giving. I want you to find me loving. I want you to find me sharing the gospel with other people. I want you to find me living out the assignment because I don't know when you're coming back. I don't know when I'm going to meet you, but I know this. One day I'm going to meet you and I'm responsible for what I do with what I've heard. I need to stay awake. I don't need to be distracted by what's in my hand, which is not really what God wants in my hand. I don't need to be distracted by trying to keep up with all my stuff. And I don't need to be distracted by being lazy and apathetic because it hasn't happened yet. You think it's not going to happen. But one day it will. One day it will. And so here's the invitation this morning. You see, if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. If you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. And the only way to be ready to die is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else is a dead-end road. But to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ means that I acknowledge that I need Jesus to change my heart, that I need to go in a new direction. I need to have a turn in my life, a repentance in my life, to receive Christ into my heart and to accept the forgiveness that he offers and then to be his disciple, a follower, a lifelong learner, a one-time decision with a lifetime of impact. Or we need to be ready for the second coming, and and sometimes in the church, the longer we're Christians, the more flatlined we become spiritually. Or we do this: Hey, I served when my kids were younger, and you know, I, when they were in preschool, I was in there volunteering. When they were in children's ministry, I volunteered. When they were in the youth ministry, I volunteered. But since my kids are grown and gone, I'm going to just enjoy myself anytime I want to. That's not what the Bible says. We are to give of ourselves as long as God gives us breath and to serve him faithfully and lovingly and willingly. So I want us to stand and we're going to sing. And as we sing, if you need to give your heart to Jesus this morning, then I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are and find one of these men and say, today I need to trust Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. If you need to come to this altar and make it a place where you repent of wasting time and years and energies or talents, whatever it is, and you use this altar. As Mark leads us in singing, you step out and you come.